Well, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Graceway Baptist Church to our Sunday School lesson. And uh, this will be for July 3rd, 2022. And so uh, congratulations, you've made it more than halfway through the year of 2022. So we're on the downhill slide now. And of course, a holiday weekend coming up. And we certainly do pray for our country and we appreciate um, the freedoms that we have and recognize the fact that um, God gave us our freedom and he gave us our rights. We're made in the image of God. And we are very fortunate to have a uh, system of government that for the most part recognizes those rights. And uh, you're very blessed to be an American. So celebrate that. That is uh, certainly by the grace of God. Well, this uh, particular month, we're gonna start a new uh, little mini series here. And uh, I, so I'd like for you to turn to the book of Daniel and turn to chapter one. Now we're not gonna go verse by verse through the entire book. We're gonna mainly be looking at the life of Daniel, this prophet of God that was such an um, integral part of the life of Israel and uh, an intriguing person. He did not always have an easy life, we're gonna find out, but he was one of the characters in the scripture that uh, tended to be very, very faithful. You know. We think about heroes like David killing the giant, becoming the king, and all of those types of things. And yet at the same time, we also see a uh, tremendous character flaw and sin issue in David's life. I mean, he didn't take very good care of his children. We find references in there that he you know, favored one over the other, and then he wouldn't discipline uh, his children. And then his moral failure with Bathsheba, his sin, uh, really did cause him issues in the way that he dealt with his uh, own sons. And uh, yet with Daniel, uh, when you look through this book, you don't really find that type of thing. This is a man who seemed to be extremely consistent and uh, let's also remember he wasn't the king of anything. In fact, he's living in a foreign land. In 586 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Chaldeans or Babylonians, um, modern day Iraq, uh, he came to Judah and he conquered it. You remember that after Solomon, the nation of Israel was split into the 10 tribes in the north called Israel and um, two tribes in the south called Judah. And Judah was a little better in the way that they lived than Israel was, but still their uh, sin came to um, find them out, I guess we would say. And so they were invaded by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king in 586 BC. And he plunders the temple and it's destroyed and it's a mountain of rubble. That great, beautiful temple that Solomon had built is now just a, a, a heap of trash and rubble. And not only did Nebuchadnezzar do that, but he also took away the best and the brightest of uh, the young people of Judah and took them to Babylon. And he's going to put them through re-education. It kind of sounds like what communists do when they take over a country. Uh, China had a lot of re-education camps and then they had a cultural revolution, that type of thing, to uh, revise history and to emphasize certain historical facts over others and uh, change everybody's thinking and change their ideas, 
change their identity. Well, they did that with Daniel and uh, even to the point of changing his name and his uh, three friends, Hananiah, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And even Daniel was given a Babylonian name like they were, just completely changing their identity. And it's amazing when we think about Daniel's faithfulness because when he was carried off into exile, he was a teenager. He may have been as young as a junior high student. Um, It's kind of amazing when you think about a lot of the heroes, when you think about David killing the giant, he was very young when that happened, a young teenager. When we think about um, these uh, Daniel and his three friends, they were young teenagers when they were carried off to Babylon. How would you have done if you were 14, 15, um, even if you were 16 or 17, carried off from your family uh, as a result of an invasion, as a result of being conquered, and you're taken to a foreign land. You have to learn a different language. You're given a different name. There are different foods they expect you to eat. You are loyal to a different uh, style of government, a different monarch in this case. Um, all of these things are happening to you. How well would you fare? And that's what makes Daniel one of these people that is just so incredibly Impressive. So we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 21. I'm not going to read all of them at once, but um, I'm going to, uh, as we make the point, it will cover the verses that the point covers. And uh, isn't it interesting, going back to the intro, how we sort of think today that, uh, you know, with a teenager or somebody, uh, you know, I guess God could use them. After all, he is a sovereign God, but it's not very likely. And how often we just don't think that the teenage years are very important. We give them a pass. They're going to be kind of liberal. They're going to be pushing the envelope on things. They're going to be testing the waters. They're going to be uninterested. But one of these days, you know, they'll come back. After all, we all claim the scripture, train up a child in the way he should go and When he is old, he'll not depart from it. Some of us are still waiting for our children to return to the faith of their fathers. But uh, we don't really ever expect for great and mighty, powerful things to happen out of teenagers. And yet they did in uh, previous years and previous times. Somebody said that one of the tragedies of our era is that we expect for our uh, junior high and high school students to be challenged academically and athletically and musically and, you know, all of those things. you got to try hard. you got to push them, and you can't let them let up, and they can't be a quitter and all of that until it comes to the things of God. And then we're afraid if we push them or demand too much out of them, well, then they'll just quit, and they'll hate God and hate church and hate the Bible and hate um, Christian principles and never return to it. And I wonder if uh, that is really the case because it seems like in the Bible, so many young people, instead of failing the test, they tended to pass the test. And so God can use young people and a lot of the heroes, as we said before, of the Bible were very, very young. Mary and Joseph, for example, when Jesus is born, probably uh, 15 or maybe a little 
younger that was common in that time for them to uh, marry and to have children and to take responsibility. In fact, you've heard of a bar mitzvah. That is when a young Jewish boy becomes accountable to the law and is considered a man, not an immature man, immature man. They don't turn the, you know, the government over to a 13 year old boy, but they do start expecting him to learn a trade, to be educated, to obey the law and to take on some degree of responsibility as he grows older. And then at the age of 30, it really uh, seems to take off, at least in Bible times it did. If it's a young girl, it's a bat mitzvah, but uh, same, same kind of idea. They took their children and instead of giving them a period of adolescence, find yourself, be wild, be crazy, sow your wild oats, they uh, kind of clamped down on them and held them responsible and expected some things of them. So um, we need to be shepherding our children to be more like Daniel than to be like um, the latest pop star or somebody like that. And so uh, this is something that parents and also the rest of us in the church, we re need to really be praying about this that we uh, challenge our children and challenge our young people so that they don't just think, ah, it doesn't really matter. Nobody says anything or does anything, so no big deal. So with that in mind, maybe we could title this Dare to be a Daniel. And that would be that the oldest ones of us need to challenge ourselves in these areas and also give that challenge and pass that challenge on. Make Christianity mean something, make it be something that is valuable and important, okay? Let's talk about this. Number one, as we look at verses one and two, Daniel was a man chosen for desperate times. You ever feel like we're in desperate times? A lot of indications that uh, as things get worse, if you don't think they are now, well, you will before too much longer if God doesn't intervene. Well, Daniel certainly did live in desperate times. And in desperate times, we might think that we get a pass, but the truth of the matter is, the more desperate the times, the more Christians are needed. That's the time that we ought to stand up. Let's read what happened in the life of Daniel, looking in Daniel 1, verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Well, that right away tells you that things are tough. What would you think if in Oklahoma City we were surrounded by a foreign army, nothing in, nothing out, and they were controlling everything? How would you feel about that? And how do you think things would be? I'm going to guess enemy an enemy army when they besiege you and they're controlling what comes in or out, that's probably not going to be anywhere near anything pleasant or happy for us, right? Well, that's what Daniel had to live through. This is what forged his character. This is what shaped him. And we might look and say, well, bad economic times, bad political times, and being besieged like this, well, how can you expect much out of him? But uh, as someone said one time, bad circumstances and bad times don't shape character, they reveal it. Daniel's character is revealed. Verse number two, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand. So now the government has collapsed 
And now enemy troops are in your city, in Daniel's city. They're controlling everything. This is horrible, especially for Jews who were under the covenant of God, given that land by God, had been occupied, uh, occupying that all the way back since the days of um, Joshua. And uh, now what happens? These pagan Gentile idol worshipers have come into the city and there are Gentile footprints on the dirt and they've torn down the temple and God didn't do anything. I mean, a Jew couldn't even walk into the wrong part of the temple without being stricken. And yet Nebuchadnezzar goes in and the whole thing, the temple is plundered and destroyed and God doesn't seem to do anything. You think these were times where there were a lot of questions and they were kind of bewildered. And so um, it goes on to say, with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, that's Babylon, to the house of his God. Well, now we've got blasphemy going on too. God is allowing these pagan Gentiles to think that their gods are bigger than he is. And God could have stopped this. God could have done something about this, but he didn't. He was teaching his people a lesson and he was also doing something great at the same time in the life and in the story and the ministry of Daniel. So Nebuchadnezzar plunders Jerusalem, destroys the temple, takes the treasures out, puts them in the house of his God. Let's pick up again. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. He saw the value of them. He put them in his God's treasure house. But he didn't really respect the God that the treasures were dedicated to, the God that the treasures represented. He didn't really see any point in all of that other than my God's bigger than your God. My God conquered your God. I have conquered you. And uh, for Nebuchadnezzar to be able to handle these things and to put them where he wanted tells us a little bit about this. Back up with me to Exodus when we went through that. Who told the people what to make, how to make it, where to put it, and how to use it? God did. For Nebuchadnezzar now to take these things and do with them as he pleases, this is Nebuchadnezzar asserting himself to say, I'm just like your God. Now, whether he was actually claiming to be God at this point, don't know for sure, but it sure kind of sounds like that this is very, very arrogant. And so we remember that this happened because of Judah's sin, and Nebuchadnezzar plunders Jerusalem, its wealth, its temple, its economy, but he didn't leave it there. Even people were taken out, the brightest and the best, of the nobility, especially of their children, were taken to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar didn't want the scrubs, right? Nebuchadnezzar didn't want the nobodies. Nebuchadnezzar wanted the very, very best to take them to Babylon and to be able to use them. And this is an attempt to humiliate the God of Israel, Yahweh. In Psalm 83, 4 and 5, they say, Come, let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. 
for they conspire with one accord against you. They make a covenant. Who was the psalmist speaking of against you? Against God. This is a war between Nebuchadnezzar and God. And so far, Nebuchadnezzar seems to be winning. And so Daniel was born as nobility. We don't know exactly what his parents did or what rank they had, but he was among the elite and among the upper crust into this particular world. And at this particular time, um, let's just say this, it was the worst possible time to have a title. It was the worst possible time to be a part of the nobility or the elite because Daniel and a lot of others, they had a target on their back. Nebuchadnezzar wants you. You're going to Babylon and you're going to go there and you're going to serve us and you're going to learn our culture and you're going to be what we want you to be. That sort of happened to Joseph, didn't, didn't it? When he was made prime minister and he serves in Pharaoh's court. That happened to Moses when uh, Pharaoh's daughter found him and he was raised in Pharaoh's court. So this isn't the first time that God has worked like this. Uh, a man of God in the midst of a pagan um, ruler. Number two, Daniel was a man who was equipped for the task that he did not choose. Okay. We hear a lot in this abortion bait, uh, debate you know, a woman's right to choose. And it's, it's like choosing is a big deal for us. If we can choose it, then we can control it. Well, what about when you can't choose it? Daniel had absolutely no choice in, uh, you know, when he was born, he had no clue about it. There were better times in the land of Judah to be born, but he was born during this particular time. He was at the right age to be taken as a captive. And uh, all of this is going to happen, and he had nothing to do with it. Let's read verses 3 through 7. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs. Okay, as, as a man, I read that word, and I go, uh-oh. What is the master of the eunuchs doing involved in all of this? Because you know what that means, that uh, the king was going to take these young men, and they were going to be castrated. And uh, the, the king didn't want them, um, well, as young men do, being interested in girls and that type of thing. He wanted 100% of their time and their um, effort and their attention being put on him, and uh, not in a sexual way, but in, in a work-related way. And in learning the things of Babylon, he doesn't want them distracted. He doesn't want them thinking about anything else. And there was another thing, too. Many times in those days, the eunuchs were the ones that were used to guard the queen and the king's harem. He didn't want them messing around with any of them either, so... That's what they would do. They would castrate them. Well, that gives us a clue. Whatever Daniel's going through now could get better, but it's, it's going to get worse. So he gets Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. So they're getting the brightest and the best. That's why Daniel was in this. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, you can't have ugly guys guarding the king or advising the king or anything. Notice this, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, 
who had ability to serve the king's palace and whom they might uh, teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them. This is like going to college, isn't it? Or going to seminary or something, but it's for the purpose of the king so that the, uh, at the end of that time, they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. To them, the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave name, Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 39, verse 7. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. This is Daniel. So this is uh, the kind of uh, test that he had to pass. It wasn't just, hey, you, come along. He had to be screened, and he had to go through some things, and he also had to pass the test that they gave. And so he's tested both physically and mentally. That's the wisdom and all of that type of thing. And they were to be re-educated in all areas, and so they would screen them for their potential. Could they learn a new language? They had to be fluent in it. They're not going to have, you know, broken Chaldean or anything like that there. It's got to be easy to understand and very fluent in this. They've got to think in that new language. They are castrated and made to be uh, eunuchs. And then they are t having uh, new names. Their whole identity as uh, uh, citizens of the nation of Judah, being Israelis, completely stripped away from them. It's... Uh, as uh, MacArthur says, John MacArthur in his study Bible, I believe that's where this is from, said a key factor in brain, the brainwashing process of the Babylonian training was a name switch. This was to link the inductees to local gods rather than to support their former religious loyalty. Get the key? Take them from being servants of the Most High God to serving their idols. Now, how do you think that Jewish people like this, especially teenagers, are to think about that? Daniel means God is my judge, but became Belteshazzar, or Bel protect the king. Hananiah, the Lord is gracious, was changed to Shadrach, um, command of Aku, mother, the, uh, pardon me, another Babylonian god, and Mishael, meaning who is like the Lord, was given the name Meshach, who is what Aku is. And finally, Azariah, the Lord is my helper, became Abednego, our servant of Nego, also called Nebo, a god of vegetation. And uh, you can see references to that in Isaiah 46.1. Now, we don't know what the future holds ever, do we? Now, Daniel and his three friends didn't know. 
and we don't know either. We don't know what's going to happen with our nation, with our life, with our health, with our money, with, with our family, any of those kind of things. But here's the key in the book of Daniel uh, emphasizes this. We do know who holds the future. And wherever you are and whatever you're doing, whatever your name may be, whatever the world may take from you or whatever the world may give you, here's the truth. God is always with you and God gives grace for his people who live in these desperate times. He doesn't forget you. He doesn't leave you on your own. He gives grace, the desire and the power to do his will. So number three, Daniel was a man with spiritual integrity, verses 8 through 16. Now you're familiar with this. You learned this when you were a little kid in church. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Boy, that's a big statement right there. What if you and I purposed in our heart just not going to defile myself? What if our kids were raised like that? What if our teenagers had that type of spiritual fortitude. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. Now remember, Jews had a very strict diet that Moses had given them from the Lord. These king's delicacies. I've got a feeling there was a lot of pork and things like that in it. And uh, nor with the wine which he drank. And therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And you know that's going to go over like a lead balloon. What are you talking about? And you're saying that, that what we are serving you, the very best. I mean, people in Babylon would kill to have the food you have. You don't want it. You think there's something wrong with it. Who do you think you are anyway, Jew? Can you imagine what that was like? Verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Well, there's our answer. That's why it didn't come across like that. Verse 10. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why would he see your faces looking worse than the young men who were your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. That's a big deal. Daniel's asking this man to risk his life for this test. It's not just about Daniel. It's about this man as well, isn't it? Verse 11, so Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this matter and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their features appear better and fatter uh, we, we think of that as a negative. They would think about that in, remember back in former days, the old days, people didn't have to watch their weight because they didn't get enough to eat as it was. And so for someone to appear fatter, that's, um, well, we could substitute the words, they appeared healthier, stronger, okay? More nourished in that. Fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of the delicacies, 
I bet that made Daniel popular. And the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And that could include grain and as well as uh, what we typically think of vegetables. Now, God blessed Daniel in all of this because his loyalty was steadfast toward the Lord. Now, remember, the reason Judah has been overtaken, invaded, conquered, I guess we would say, is because they were not steadfast to the Lord. Daniel is the exception to the rule. He's the exception to his ancestors. He's the, uh, the exception to the people of Judah. Here he is under the worst of circumstances in Babylon, having been made a eunuch and in this situation, learning this language, learning all of this, and yet he remains steadfast to the Lord, something that Israel and Judah, neither nation did when they're in the promised land with the temple and all of that. It's kind of uh, amazing and it really spotlights what kind of an exceptional young man Daniel was. And his protest, notice it was not defiant, but he was very confident. Let us try this. Let us eat the food that we want to eat for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, let's do a test. And then we'll do whatever you tell us to do. And the only reason Daniel would do that is because he was kind of like a lawyer in a courtroom. Lawyers are trained, don't ask a question you don't already know the answer to. Well, Daniel was proposing a test that he already knew what the outcome was going to be. And he took full advantage of the grace of God. God had given him favor with the chief of the eunuchs and with this steward. And so he didn't ignore that open door. And there are times in your life when God gives you an opportunity, when God gives you favor for something that could be used for his glory and for the well-being of other people. Don't be afraid to take it. Make sure that it is from God, but don't be afraid to take it. Daniel wasn't. And he was willing to face whatever consequences might come as a result of his commitment. In other words, like Jesus said, he counted the cost. So he and his friends had an impact. Was it a welcome or an unwelcome impact on the others? Kind of have a feeling that they might not have been so happy with Daniel when they go, you mean we can't have the good stuff that the king has, and now we've got to eat the stuff that those four men are eating? Well, it was going to be beneficial, but they probably were not real happy with it. But Daniel didn't let any of those things sway him, and that was a characteristic of his life. Number four, he was a man with godly friends, verses 17 through 21. As for these four young men... God gave them knowledge and skill in literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, then the king interviewed them. And among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king. They had a high and a cheap position that they started off in. Verse 20, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about the king, uh, about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all the realm. Thus, Daniel continued 
until the first year of King Cyrus. In other words, Daniel goes on until there is regime change. He's not done away with when new kings come along. There's going to be several of them, but all the way to Cyrus. Cyrus is the one who allowed the Jews to go back to uh, Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So this is going to be 70 years later. That's the longevity of Daniel's ministry there in a pagan government with these kind of people. Now, I think it's interesting that the Bible mentions, before it mentions Daniel's excellence and Daniel's position and Daniel's longevity in the government, he mentions his friends. And I think a big part of what Daniel did in his success is because he, well, he would hang around with the right people. Now, he couldn't help the fact that he was hanging around pagans. There's no sin in that. We all have to be in the world, but we're not of the world. And we need those times where we get with people who get us. We need to be with those people that are glorifying the Lord as we are, who obey the Bible as we do, who can pray together, who can support us, who can encourage us in the right way. True fellowship should produce good friendship. You ought to have friends out of the church. And you need friends that encourage you, but also will confront you and motivate you to excellence. And you find in this passage that we just read that Daniel and his friends were just keyed in to excellence. Their work was good. Their thinking was good. In fact, the king said, you're 10 times better than all of my astrologers and magicians. Okay? That's probably not a literal thing, you know, that you can do in a calculator 10 times. I think that's a euphemism just to say, good night, you're way ahead of all of them, especially for as young as you are. And that's because God had given them wisdom. And uh, you need some long-term friendships, people who knew you back when, people who know you now, people who stick with you into future times because they understand you and they know you're uh, tendencies. They know where you've stumbled before. They can help you. And you need friends that are faithful with you. And uh, even, uh, excuse me, faithful without you. Because when you think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what do we think about them? They were thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow to the idol. And you notice in that part of the story, Daniel was not even mentioned. Don't know where he was. Might have been on a trip. Might have been doing something else, but he wasn't there on that particular day, and yet his friends were still faithful. Have you ever noticed that sometimes you have friends that they act right when they're around certain people, but they don't when that person is not around? You don't really need friends like that. You need friends that are going to be faithful with you and also that are going to be faithful without you. Okay, so we see these things about Daniel that would apply to each one of us if we're going to serve the Lord. So to, conclu to conclude, we'll say Daniel was a teenager when he was taken captive. Could you have done what Daniel did when you were his age? Probably not. That would be difficult, wouldn't it? Another question, are we praying for our children and teenagers to be ready to stand in their generation? Who knows what they're going to face? It may be unimaginable persecution. And the times in which we live are desperate, and we must seriously equip younger generations by modeling these things for them. Don't leave it to someone else. Don't just say, well, their parents ought to do it. Well, that's true, 
the parents ought to do it, but sometimes you remember what it was like. The last person you listen to is your parents. Well, maybe you don't have teenagers. Maybe you don't even have children. But at the same time, a teenager might look to you and go, wow, you're just like my mom and you're just like my dad. And all of a sudden, mom and dad have credibility. And so all of these things are important. We are raising up and influencing a new generation for who knows what. Maybe you're going to have an impact on a Daniel to stand in desperate times for the glory of God. You think your reward might be great for that? I guarantee you that it will. So thank you for your time, and uh, we'll continue on looking at the life of Daniel as we go through this month and the next. And um, I hope you enjoy doing that. I think it'll be a lot of fun looking at this uh, great hero of the faith, Daniel, the captive from Judah, who rose to the high ranks of government, and more than that, has his life story included in the eternal Word of God. What an amazing thing. That's a guy that we ought to follow. He's a true hero. Thank you. God bless you. And we will see you next week.